0: This, this is the Buck Sexton, Sexton Show, where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One
1: more for me. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again.
0: The Buck Sexton Show
2: begins.
1: Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It
3: is Buck Sexton.
2: Now, Michael Palke here, sitting in for my friend Buck Sexton on the Buck Sexton Show Wrapping up 2020, yeah, the weirdest year ever. I really do think 2020 deserves that title of the weirdest year ever. And with just one more day to go after today, I am happy to see it go. But as I mentioned yesterday, I'm also a little nervous about 2021, especially after we read those predictions from Nostradamus yesterday. Nostradamus, who 500-plus years ago, predicted that uh, 2021 would see asteroids and zombies on the planet. Well, we've had a couple of close calls with asteroids over the last couple of months, and that doesn't make me feel very comfortable. And the zombie thing, who knows what's going to happen? Really, we are seeing all kinds of things. The World Health Organization told us, by the way, COVID-19, not necessarily the big one when it comes to pandemics. Thanks, fear mongerers. COVID-19, not necessarily the big one. And speaking of COVID, a Colorado man has come down with the new, more highly contagious version of the COVID-1984 virus. A guy we are told was not traveling A guy, we are told, did not have contact with people from the United Kingdom. And that's where we believe the latest strain was coming from, and probably already here. Canada had a couple of cases it recognized two days ago. But here's the thing the mainstream media is not covering when it it talks about this new strain of COVID. The mainstream media is avoiding all of the statements by medical professionals, which claims that the new strain, while very contagious, highly contagious, is nowhere near the lethality of the original COVID. And this happens a lot. If you look at Ebola, when Ebola jumps from one person to another person, each time it jumps, it weakens and maybe that's the case with this this latest strain of the covid which this guy in colorado again has contracted they've identified it but he hasn't traveled he didn't just come back from england so we'll see where this goes but just remember this new strain allegedly is going to respond to the therapeutics that we've been giving people and it's also not as lethal So, hopefully, it will just start the process of burning itself out. And maybe if we get the vaccinations going a little quicker, which I know we need to push on that a little bit more, Mr. President. If we get the vaccinations going a little bit faster, maybe we can get to herd immunity sooner. I know some of you are not interested in the vaccine. I am. I frankly have confidence in this. I've talked to medical professionals about it. I have a brother who's a doctor. You've heard Dr. Royzen on this show. And I have confidence in the vaccine. And I know some of you are saying, well, didn't you have confidence in Dr. Fauci? Yes, uh, uh, I, I had some confidence in Dr. Fauci, but he blew all my confidence away when he said this the other day. The reason I
0: first started
2: saying 70,
0: 75, I brought it up to 85. That's not a big leap to go Mm -hmm. from 75 to 85. It was really based on calculations and pure extrapolations from measles. But I think we all have to be honest and humble. Nobody really knows for sure.
2: See that last part there, that very last part of Dr. Fauci talking about the science and I'm using air quotes with my fingers. That very last part I found disturbing. Nobody really knows for sure. I wish he would have started saying that back in February or March of this year when we first started encountering the COVID-1984. Dr. Fauci, can you just add this statement to everything you've told us? Nobody really knows for sure. Yeah, that's really the answer. This is a brand new virus that nobody knew about. And so a lot of it was just a shot in the dark. Now, where are we going with shots? Speaking of shots, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were not exactly pro-vaccine before. I don't know if you remember what they said on the campaign trail when they were talking about the vaccine that Donald Trump was just about to announce had crossed the finish line.
4: I will say that I would not trust Donald Trump and it would have to be a credible source of information that talks about the um, the efficacy and the and the reliability of whatever he's talking about.
5: I will not take his word for it. I don't trust the president on vaccines. I trust Dr. Fauci. If Fauci says the vaccine is safe, I take the vaccine, that we should listen to the scientists, Hmm. not to the president.
2: Hmm. Don't listen to the president, listen to the guy who says this, nobody really knows for sure. Well, what we do know about the vaccine is it was tested on tens of thousands of people who I believe those people who put their arms out, who offered their own bodies as guinea pigs for the the vaccines on, on a couple different companies in their trials. Those people really should have been the person of the year. Those are the people who bravely stepped up and offered to let these companies inject something into their bodies. So Biden and Harris in the fall casting doubt on any vaccine just because it came from the orange man. Orange man bad, you know, they hate him. And then uh, yesterday, Kamala got her vaccination. And uh, Joe Biden had to talk about her getting the vaccination. And in doing so, I believe Joe Biden may have said the quiet part loud, as they like to say. Joe Biden may have told us exactly what he's thinking or what the plan is. I hope the
5: president will clearly and unambiguously urge all Americans to take the vaccine once it's available. I took it to instill public confidence in the vaccine. President-elect Harris took, it, her, took hers today for the same reason.
2: Wait, what, what was that last part, sir?
5: President-elect Harris took it her, took hers today for the same reason.
2: President-elect Harris... Yeah, he really said that. That's not an edit.
5: President-elect Harris took it, took hers today for the same reason.
2: Hmm. President-elect Harris. Is that what he sees in his brain when he sees her? Is that the word that flashes across the front of Joe Biden's brain? It just makes me wonder. I'm just trying to get the straight story. This guy does scare me. And I'm not saying that uh, that President Biden is a done deal, because there are a couple of challenges that the Trump team is still trying. There's also the Louis Gohmert lawsuit, and there's also next Tuesday or Wednesday actually is the certification. Tuesday is the runoff election in Georgia, and we'll get to that today as well, because there's some interesting stuff happening in Georgia. But this this story about the vaccine. It's interesting. We're, we've given out 2 million doses, maybe close to 3 million today. And we're hearing stories of some reactions, which you will get. You will have allergic reactions to this. And you have to chase down the rumors and make sure you're not, you're not supporting the rumor mill when you look at some of the stories that are coming out. Because believe me, there are a ton of, um, a ton of stories that are full, full of Bravo Sierra when it comes to the vaccine and the virus and the treatments, everything. So uh, just be cautious. Before you retweet something or repost it, take a minute and run it through the truth filter. Just, just take a second, please, because there are a lot of nut jobs out there. And again, you might not want the vaccine. I want it. And I want it to work. I'm also not going to be able to get it right away like members of Congress or like drug addicts in New York. I don't know if you saw this, but yesterday, Governor Cuomo once again stiffing the seniors and the most vulnerable. Governor Cuomo saying that uh, drug addicts need to be prioritized on the vaccination list. Drug addicts, that's right. Never mind all those people in elder care facilities. Those should be the priority. The people who work there and the people who are living in lockdowns, not able to be with their loved ones, should be the ones who can get the vaccine so that maybe we can allow their families to come see them before they die. But no, we have to be sensitive and prioritize drug addicts, get the Weakest among us taken care of first, Governor Cuomo. Maybe the worst governor in America. We should do a contest on that. Who is the worst governor in America? Is it Governor Cuomo? Is it, is it the California Governor Newsom who is now facing a serious recall challenge? Who is it? Is it Governor Wolf in Pennsylvania? There's a whole bunch of nominees. Maybe maybe we'll do that uh, for the new year and maybe we won't have to deal with uh, Governor Newsom in California anymore if he gets recalled. We'll see. They're getting very close and he's getting very nervous and funding is now pouring in for the recall effort. All right. I'm going to step aside here for a break. When we get back, I've got um, the story uh, about the Louisiana congressman elect. Who passed away at the age of 41, just days before he was supposed to be sworn in to Congress? It's a terribly sad tale, but it's also one that has got me wondering about the coronavirus. We'll deal with that story and more on the Buck Sexton show with Michael Pelka, me filling in for my friend Buck Sexton.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This
2: is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Michael Pelka here. Yeah, we will get to as much of the news of the day as we can. The McConnell surprise that was delivered last night, the bill pitching $2,000 checks plus the repeal of Section 230 and the setup of a um, election fraud commission, if you will kind of giving out some candy to everybody. I wonder if this all comes through, if Donald Trump will give Mitch McConnell an Art of the Deal gold star, because he's trying to do a little diplomacy here. Before we left, I was talking about the story, kind of a tragic story out of Louisiana, about a guy who was a congressman-elect, 41-year-old man who was getting ready To be sworn in, Luke Letlow, he died of COVID or from COVID. Diagnosed with COVID really just weeks ago. And a week later after he announced it, he's gone. It's kind of strange because in most cases, we have seen the people who have been the uh, victims of COVID, who have died of COVID, have been people with comorbidities, things like serious obesity, morbid obesity, or lung problems, asthma, COPD, people who have compromised immune systems. Or they were old because age is one of those things that COVID takes advantage of. Luke Letlow was just 41, And judging by the photos I see, he doesn't look like a guy who was morbidly obese. He's also um, a guy who's leaving behind a wife and two young children. So the tragedy here is compounded. But it also may be a pivot moment in terms of our fight against this, this virus. Maybe Luke Letlow is going to be the face that shows people, hey, we need to be a little more serious about this. We need to take this whole thing a little more seriously, and maybe we'll find out that he had an underlying condition. We don't know. I certainly don't want to be the one to grill his family. You know, they're in mourning right now. But this one is uh, a little bizarre, and for those of you who are wondering... What happens to that congressional seat? Well, there will be a runoff. He had just won a runoff a couple weeks earlier. The guy, the guy trounced his opposition, who happened to be a Republican. It was two Republicans who were running. And another runoff will happen now in order to fill that seat. It, it is a Republican district. But it's just a mystery. I, I just was kind of taken aback by it today because this is one that doesn't make any sense none of the comorbidities none of the things that we usually associate now maybe he was a smoker i don't know that doesn't say in there we are hearing and we've heard from our friend michael Royzen at the cleveland clinic that smoking smoking really does do damage to the lungs to the point where this covid virus goes in and and gets deep in the lungs and starts ripping them apart so if this guy smoked or even vaped they're also saying that if you are a person who uses the vape pens that you need to take a good look at 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 yourself and say maybe i don't need this because the covid may also do the same thing to your lungs that smoke does it's really kind of an unknown isn't it here we are 10 months into this and and we're still not exactly sure. We're still not exactly certain of, of how all of this works. Right, Dr. Fauci? Nobody really knows for sure. Yeah, I know. I'm not making light of it, but I'm just pointing out that all of the research we have, all the billions we've poured into it, and you can still have a Luke Letlow happen. A 41-year-old guy who contracted the virus and then within two months or less is gone. I guess we'll know eventually what the whole story is. I guess the media will dig in or once his family gets a chance to adjust and they'll never remember Christmas without thinking of the, the time daddy died. That's just a terrible thing to have. I always feel for anyone who's got to go through a holiday period and have the loss of a relative because that's, that's what we did. We lost my dad four years ago, the day after Christmas. It stinks on ice. So to the Letlow family, our hearts and prayers go out to you. And uh, I hope we find out maybe there was a reason why this, uh, this COVID ravaged this guy. I'm tired of this uh, virus, and that's why I'm kind of positive on the vaccine. Uh, we'll get into that. So many other stories to get to. I want to talk about the Louis Gohmert story, the lo- the lawsuit that Gomert filed, trying to uh, convince Mike Pence to make a move about the uh, electoral certification next week, and we'll dive into that because there's some questions about Mike Pence. He was pressured to join the suit. What does it mean? We'll get into it next on the Buck Sexton Show.
0: Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Michael Opelka sitting in for my friend Buck. And over the past couple of days, I've been wrestling with this story of the lawsuit filed by Texas Congressman Louis Gomert from the 1st District in the state of Texas. Gohmert is a guy I've spoken to many times, and I happen to like him a lot. And he's a guy I think respects the Constitution greatly. And I'm trying to understand what he's doing with this lawsuit suing Mike Pence. So... Um, I reached out to the Constitution coach, Rick Green, America's Constitution coach, and Rick is joining us to try and help me understand it. Rick, I'm glad you're here, even though it's the end of the year. I appreciate you still working.
1: Hey, Mike, absolutely, man. Well, the Constitution never sleeps, right? Not not during Christmas and not during a pandemic even.
2: Well, you would hope. You would hope people would realize yeah. that. But there are a lot of people who would like to put it to sleep, I think, in D.C., if you know what I'm saying.
1: No doubt. No doubt.
2: So, Rick, let's talk about this lawsuit uh, filed earlier this week, and we also had a report that was bubbling that talked about the fact that Louis Gohmert and the 11 electoral uh, representatives, electors from Arizona, had tried to enlist the vice president to sign on to this. Is there anything that we should read into Mike Pence saying, no, thank you, because I have a theory. Yeah, I don't
1: think so. I, I think that was a preliminary thing required to expedite the case. If if they had agreed on everything, there's really no need for the judge to, to intervene here. Uh, so I, I think look, Louis Gilmore's a former judge in Texas, a great congressman, as you said, a lover of the Constitution, a brilliant guy. And as I read the pleadings, I think he has laid this case out absolutely incredibly well. He's he's raising some big questions that frankly Democrats and Republicans have asked for a few years now. Uh, in fact, 150 years roughly, this 1887 statute um, has been confusing. The only thing the experts agree on is that they don't agree on what it actually says. It's the worst written statute in history. And Louis is actually saying, look, that statute's unconstitutional because it's granting new powers to Congress and it's stripping the vice president of powers. Uh, and I agree with him. I think this is uh, a brilliant way to approach this. There's some 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 major issues at, at, uh, at play here. Um, And we need to remove the uncertainty. So I'm glad he filed the suit ahead of January 6th. I hope we can get an expedited decision from this district court level. I don't think it'll make it to the Supreme Court in time, but at least a district court decision could embolden Mike Pence on January 6th.
2: So if a district court rules in favor of Louis Gohmert and the uh, electors, you think that that could put a little pressure on Mike Pence?
1: That's exactly right, and I think that's part of the, the reason for it. You know, I, I mean, he's in a somewhat unenviable position. Uh, no matter what he does, he's going to hack off half the country. I understand that, but that's what we want leaders to be have the courage to do, to make the bold moves. And, uh, and you know, the suit itself, it, it raises three really, really important questions. Number one, what are the constitutional duties and powers of the vice president under the 12th Amendment when he presides over the counting and the opening of those ballots. Secondly, what are the constitutional duties and powers of the Congress? Does the House and Senate have any say here when in fact the 12th Amendment only says that they shall be present? It doesn't give them any power to make decisions. And then third, if we are going to let them make decisions or if for some reason Mike Pence kicks out enough electoral votes that nobody gets 270 and this gets kicked over to the House for a decision, how do they make that decision? In other words, how do they vote because they don't vote by 435 folks, you know, uh, and a plurality of that 435, they vote one state, one vote. And what Louis Gohmert is raising in this in this lawsuit that nobody's talked about yet is that if that's the way the House is supposed to vote on uh, choose on in a contingent election, isn't that also the way they should have to vote on refusing or accepting electors if we're going to let them have a vote. I know there's a lot of contingencies there. But his number one issue that he raises is they should have no voice in this. This is entirely the vice president's decision. But if the court doesn't agree with that and they say, no, we're gonna let precedent take, uh, you know, uh, uh, trump the, no pun intended, let precedent trump the actual constitution. Precedent meaning uh, we have allowed the House and Senate to have a voice in this in in previous elections. And if if they allow for that, then we still have to answer the question of how do they vote? So a lot of issues at play here. And I think Judge Congressman Gohmert has laid them out excellent.
2: Yeah, I'm a big fan of Louis, as I've said before, and and you you know that. Um, If you're a betting man, Rick Green, uh, which way do you think this flows in Texas, and how soon do you think we hear about it?
1: Ah, this is the part I hate. Uh, You know, the courts have failed us miserably throughout 2020. They've failed us, and the one thing— THEY'RE SUPPOSED TO DO, WHICH IS DEFEND THE CONSTITUTION. Uh, all year long they've allowed governors to be dictators and emperors and and failed to uh, uphold the rule of law in the constitution for 50 years they've been outside their jurisdiction the courts have been doing things they shouldn't have been doing the one time they need to do what they're supposed to be doing under the constitution they didn't do so same thing with the election laws being changed by governors i mean the courts should have uh, uh, made the right decision there and done their one job of defending the constitution so my my faith in the courts right now i think there are too many cowards in the courts I, you know, I think the Vegas odds, if I were setting the Vegas odds on this, I'd say we got a 10% chance. Uh, But, but it's absolutely constitutionally correct. It's correct based on the rule of law and even on historical precedent. The problem is we don't have a lot of courage in our politics in America today. And so the question I have is, does Mike Pence have the courage to do it? I think he does. I mean, I've known him 20 years. He's a great guy, loves the constitution. I think he does. The question is, can we get a court to give a ruling that basically gives him some cover, gives him some, you know, g- gives him something to quote from, and, and say, look, I'm not the only one that thinks this. Um, and, and and I think we need that because unfortunately, the left dominates the media, they dominate the narrative, and they and they're of course squealing around saying, oh, this is just another attempt to quote steal the election, when in fact it's not even about Trump, it's not about Biden. IT'S ABOUT SIMPLY FOLLOWING THE RULES, ACTUALLY UPHOLDING THE CONSTITUTION. ARE WE A CONSTITUTIONAL REPUBLIC OR NOT? CAN CONGRESS BY JUST just A FEDERAL LAW STRIP THE VICE PRESIDENT OF CONSTITUTIONAL POWERS? THAT'S THE UNDERLYING QUESTION IN THIS LAWSUIT. WE WOULD NEVER LET CONGRESS JUST PASS A LAW TO STRIP THE PRESIDENT OF THE POWER TO PARDON OR THE POWER TO APPOINT uh, JUSTICES. THAT'S A CONSTITUTIONAL POWER. Well, in the same way, the vice president has a constitutional power here to open those votes, decide which votes to open, uh, to, to, to uh, count those votes, and to preside over this process, and to allow a federal law to strip him of all of that decision-making power and give it to the Congress, which the founders didn't do and which the 12th Amendment didn't do. Uh, frankly, you know, th- th- there's only one way to decide this case if you're going to do it constitutionally. But unfortunately, politics and a lack of courage will probably influence this more than the Constitution itself
2: yeah it sure feels that way and without that nudge Mike Pence is unlikely to uh, move any anything really that'll put him in a position that sees him as a radical I tend to think Mike Pence who I like a lot is also trying to position himself in this split from Donald Trump in a way uh, as, as a possible 2024 candidate. And that's that's not to say it's anything evil. He is a politician. He's a guy who makes his living winning elections, if you will, and then governing. So I, I have to think that somewhere in the back of Mike Pence's head, he's thinking, hey, 2024 is four years away. I could be seen as a moderate. Is that the uh, incorrect thinking to uh, he's a human after all, for God's sakes?
1: Sure, sure. No, you know, the cynical side of me says, of course, he's going to be calculating some of that. But the the, the history on Pence and and watching what he's done the last four years and and standing by Trump's side, uh, even when Trump did things that, that, you know, even conservatives, you know, said, "Ah, I wish he wouldn't have said it that way or whatever it might be. Uh, He's just been so solid and so loyal. I think he knows, even if we look at it from a, a calculating perspective, he knows there is no play in the middle ground here. If he does that, all he's going to do is hack off both sides. Uh, the, the the Trump movement, which I think Trump's the figurehead of, but is really a constitutional return to the to the rule of law uh, movement, and folks that love America and understand America has been the greatest national force for good in history. Uh, that movement is not uh, in any way going to be looking for a moderate or Mamsie Pamsy candidate. And I think Pence knows that. I don't think there's any way to win over the left. Uh, this nation is split politically. And, uh, and what we need are bold leaders that, that can, uh, as Reagan used to say, not paint in, in, in pale you know, pastels, but bold colors. Um, so my hope is that if Pence is calculating on this, that he'll come to the right conclusion and the right calculation, which is lead boldly. Have the courage to stand up for the Constitution here. Everyone knows this election was stolen. Everyone knows that that those those states broke the law. They broke the Constitution. They they these governors made up the law, changed the rules to the last minute, completely unconstitutional. And that and that if, if he's gonna if he doesn't reject those electors, he is agreeing to that lawlessness. Any senator or congressman that doesn't object, uh, even though Gomer's of course making the argument they don't even have the power to object, but most people think they do and they have in the past. So any governor, any, any senator or congressman that doesn't object to those electors from Georgia and from uh, uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, uh, where these secretaries of state and governors, you know, uh, rigged the system to help their side, unconstitutionally did so. If you don't object to that, you're signing off on that. You're saying I'm okay with lawlessness. Hey, just give me more of that in two years, more of that in four years. These congressmen and senators, especially these Republicans, got to get some backbone. They got to stand up for truth. They got to stand up for the Constitution. And I guarantee you this if they don't, we're going to replace them. We're going to primary every one of them. There is a restoration of constitutional um, uh, respect in this country. People are studying it like never before. I got 4,000 Constitution coaches across the country that have signed up this year to host Constitution classes in their living rooms, in their churches, in their synagogues, all over the country. People are hungry to return our nation to a rule of law and a constitutional republic. And I hope Mike Pence is ready to lead that charge, not get in the way of it.
2: Well, we'll find out pretty soon, Rick Green. We will find out very hey. soon. And, uh, you know, you and I got to get together and talk more about this, because I love the Constitution not quite as much as you do. I don't think anybody loves it as much <laughs> as you do. You are, after all, America's Constitution <laughs> coach. You can go to Constitution coach.com to see what else rick is up to rick thank you for all of this and the clarity have a great new year my friend
1: thanks mike thanks for being a speaker of truth man keep fighting for it we'll talk to you soon
0: thanks for listening to the buck sexton show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts
2: welcome back to the buck sexton show michael pelka wrapping up the first hour of the show we have so many things to get to We need to talk about what the heck is going on in Georgia, not just the fact that the Biden-Harris ticket are gonna be campaigning down there, Donald Trump going to be hosting a rally the night before the runoff, but some of the hankiness happening there. This Georgia judge who just happened to be Stacey Abrams' sister who ruled against cleaning up the voter rolls, how does that even happen? How is that allowed to exist? How is this judge, who is related to a woman who still has not surrendered and said she lost the gubernatorial election years ago, how is that judge allowed to stay on the case and not recuse herself? Just imagine. Yeah, I know, I'm playing the what about story. but it's true how is that allowed to exist georgia the georgia secretary of state at least finally came up and said this is insane and this is the guy who i have not had a lot of confidence in just a bizarro story yesterday we also talked about another story involving a judge and a lawsuit the guy here in delaware where i live the guy that runs a computer shop that was working on Hunter Biden's computers before he apparently forgot about them. That guy filed a half billion dollar lawsuit against Twitter two days ago. He wanted a half billion dollars because he claimed Twitter said he was a hacker. The suit was tossed out of court on the first day, but it was tossed out of court on a technicality. So it might be coming back one of those things to watch this guy's going to refile this suit and if he files it correctly twitter will probably have to pay him something to go away he had to close his business and move his family there were threats against his life and he had a business that had been there for at least 10 years because i actually took a mac to him 10 years ago he was an odd duck but he had a good business apparently to be able to keep it alive for at least 10 years The other story that we have to get into today, and and we're going to need more time. We need to talk about Alec Baldwin's wife. Um, I have a theory, which I think some of you are not going to agree with, but that's okay. I have a theory about Alec Baldwin's wife and this fake accent and all this other stuff, and we'll get into that. We're also going to talk about uh, murder rates in big cities. As I said, I live in Delaware, Wilmington, Delaware, which for years was known as murder town, because we had a pretty high murder rate for a very small town. And it may have dropped off, maybe other cities have uh, picked up. But there's an interesting story tying the spike in rates of murder in cities around the country, The, the top 10 spiking cities in terms of murder rates are seeing increases of 30 plus percent in murders. One just up the road from me is Philadelphia. Curiously, the murder rates are spiking in cities where there have been massive anti-police rallies, gigantic pushes to delegitimize law enforcement and say nothing about defunding them. What a surprise that cities that have a spiking murder rate also have massive anti-police protests going on in the same year. You destroy the confidence in in the uh, law and order people and the criminals get all of that confidence. I can't believe nobody saw this coming. So um, let's make an effort over the next couple of days, weeks, months, years, to say thank you every time you run into a cop Anywhere, anytime anybody who puts a badge on every single day deserves your respect and your thanks. Think about it when you put the the vest on the bulletproof vest, and then you put the gun on, you put the badge on. When you leave the house, you don't know if you're coming back that day. I don't know too many too many people who could actually Say that, oh yeah, that's the kind of career I want. It's a special person that has to be a member of law enforcement, just like it's a special person has to put on a uniform and serve this country in the military. So thank you, men and women of law enforcement. Thank you every damn day. Michael Pelka stepping aside on the Buck Sexton Show.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
2: Mike Pelka here on the Buck Sexton Show. Buck will be back next year. Well, you know, that's next week, so everybody calm down a little bit. Buck Sexton taking some much-deserved days off, and I'm trying to hold down the fort here, cover everything that's going on, as we also look back at 2020 and give it a, a single-finger salute in some cases. Not too excited about 2020 and not going to be exactly the most positive memory i have of any year in recent years or pretty much any year when you get a pandemic it tends to put a damper on most everything and this pandemic certainly did that with a major assist from government i might add i'm still mad about a few of the things the government made people do this year and the shutdowns the lockdowns the uh two weeks to flatten the curve as we were told in the spring now here's the weird thing. Earlier this year, I, I started talking to my friend, Dr. Michael Royzen of the Cleveland Clinic. He's the guy we have, we've had on before. And he's a guy who keeps his eye on everything in the world of medicine. He's, he's friends with Dr. Oz, Dr. Fauci, the whole nine. And on January 9th, as we started getting more and more reports about this flu, in China and how it could be pretty dangerous and deadly. I called him up and I said, Doc, we got to talk about this this coronavirus and you have to explain it to me. How does it get from bats or birds to people and, and how dangerous is it?
4: it? Most of the flus start with animals and then go from animal to human. That self-limits it as long as that virus does not go from human to human. The bad ones are viruses that that we haven't been exposed to, that is usually uh, bird flus, flus that come from birds or other animals that go to humans and that there is human to human transmission of, that is when you cough or sneeze or breathe, you breathe this virus on someone else. And if there isn't human to human transmission, it doesn't matter. If there is human to human transmission, the uh, other humans can get it. Hmm. Well, that's the concern in this one. There has not been human to human transmission yet, which means this flu will die out or this virus a new virus will die out unless there becomes, unless the virus mutates, gains another virus, um, that is associates with another virus, integrates with that other virus's DNA or RNA and can integrate into your body. So the worry is, will this um, evolve? Will it change shape and form? Um, or it's RNA, if you will, to get to be able to go to human to human. If it does, then we should worry because we don't have protection against this one.
2: Does, so so I stopped him to ask him another question. But, yeah, we don't have protection against this one. We didn't have protection. And guess what? It did jump from human to human. What we've learned now about the COVID-19 is that... Uh, it's what they refer to as slippery, a virus that can mutate quicker than we anticipate. So it, it's actually got some survival instinct in its DNA and able to alter itself to make itself change, become more contagious and maybe more lethal. We don't know the new virus that this guy in Colorado has is said to be less lethal. So we shall see. A couple months later, and, and I talked to Royson virtually every week about what's going on in medicine and health. A couple months later, I talked to him, and he had a really kind of interesting report that I haven't seen anywhere. And when we look back over the year, we kind of had a little bit of a dip in the summer, if you remember. And then in the fall, we had this surge, this massive surge that we've had since uh, October, November, December. And I wonder if the theory Dr. Royzen was talking about here had anything to do with that dip. And if we can take some of this information and maybe apply it and sort of help flatten out what's going on right now with infections.
4: And so what we know really is this is a very bad disease for the elderly and for those with some comorbid conditions over the age of fifty. Um, under the age of fifty, it doesn't it it, it is less likely to uh, get you in a serious problem than is a car accident um, in your normal driving habits. So this is not a very common problem under the age of fifty. It does cause a flu-like syndrome in many people. But the main problem under the age of 50 is when you get it, you can give it to someone who is over the age of 50 with a comorbid condition or over 70 in a long-term care facility. Long-term care facilities around the world seem to be where this goes, which obviously long-term care facilities are kind of a a proxy for someone who is elderly and has an immune deficiency or has a... um, if you will a comorbid condition so between 60 and 70 you haven't yet gone into the long-term care facility but you've got a comorbid condition that's a problem and over the age of 70 you go in for help and that's a problem because you are in a weakened state. One of the best pieces of news this week, Michael, and I'm going to give you the best piece of news I heard on the virus this week.
2: OK, now hang on. I'm going to get, get to Dr. and this breaking good news that he gave us. This was late. I think this was late May. Might have been April when we were talking about this. And if you notice, the early diagnosis that they had on the covid was pretty much what we've got today. As long as you're under 60 and healthy, it's just a bad flu, even though we had the congressman-elect who succumbed to it and, and passed away earlier this week. But generally, the strength of the person, if they are 70 and under, 60 and under, this is just a nasty flu. But here's the advice he gave us that I think... I think maybe we should consider this. This is again from earlier in the year. I think it was late April or early May. If you're
4: ready for it, I,
2: I'm strapped in and ready, Doctor Rosen.
4: Um, that high humidity, that is 40 to 60 percent humidity, plus temperatures 70 to 80, seem to make the virus impotent. Huh? Doesn't go away, but it just doesn't attack. And so, what does that mean? Well in our core climates or in deserts or um, we don't have high humidity so the virus says hey i'm gonna attack you and does um, especially the elderly but in those places where you've got high temperature you put a humidifier in get it to 40 to 60 percent i don't know what we normally get it to in our homes but i'm sure it isn't that high. get it there and you're much less likely to get the disease. So maybe that's a secret when they, uh, and if the virus comes back and we don't have a treatment and don't have a vaccine yet, then you just raise the humidity in your house and maybe uh, get a little higher temperature, get it a little muggy, and the virus says, hey, I'm not attacking.
2: So kind of interesting that in the early days, they did discover that in more humid climates, and higher temperatures, the virus was not as aggressive. And just like many flu viruses, in the, in the fall, they come back, and in the winter, they come back. I found all this fascinating. I have an entire catalog of my discussions with Dr. Royzen from the last year because we did start talking about this, this bat flu that was coming out of China back in late December of last year. And uh, he initially kind of laughed at me because I said somebody ate a bat and got sick. And we know probably not exactly the accurate terminology, but this flu has been out and about for a very long time. And coronavirus has to be atop the list of the worst things about 2020 if we're making a list of worst things. Uh, One of the things that I I do want to know about is um, what's going on with the flu what's going on with the flu it seems like there are very few or almost no cases of the common flu this year now how did that happen how in the heck does that happen did covid kill the flu or are we just not diagnosing people with the flu and calling them covid because if you have covid the hospital that's treating you gets more money from the federal government. It's amazing, San Diego, California has a story out of KUSI that COVID cases are still rising across California, but flu cases are not just low, they're extremely low, well into the flu season and San Diego County's data for flu infections shows only 36% reported cases based on their previous history in, in a typical year they would have uh, approaching 17,000 cases 36 versus 17 if you're going to have data that you can use to shut down restaurants bars uh, salons etc you're not going to say the flu is going to shut you down But you will say COVID, even though the COVID mortality rates are dropping as well. Every time we have a huge spike in cases, but not a correlating spike in deaths, the mortality rate is down. So what's going on with the flu? And will we ever get a full and fair accounting of the flu cases in this country? I maintain we won't as long as the monetary benefit continues to be attached to the diagnosis of COVID I know it's kind of gruesome to say that but if someone gets COVID or someone dies of COVID the hospital gets more money just seems to be a little bit fishy to me. Michael Pelka sitting in for Buck Sexton on the Buck Sexton Show
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show
2: podcast. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Michael Pelka here. Yeah, we're keeping an eye on everything today, but I'm also looking backwards, looking backwards at uh, 2020 and trying to remember some of the stuff that happened. And in the course of looking back at 2020 and keeping track of things, I went all the way back to the last week of 19 or 2019, the last week of December in 2019. And there was a story in that last week that I cannot believe has not been resolved yet. It's a story that sounds like it could have been written today. The headline of the story reads, and I quote, private eye claims Hunter Biden is linked to multiple criminal probes. This is December of 2019. It talks about Hunter Biden, who was in the middle of this paternity case, remember with the uh, baby mama, who also happened to be a dancer, I believe, at a uh, Washington DC club. She went by the name of Dallas. This story, again, reads like it could have been written today. Hunter Biden is accused or said to be the subject of more than one criminal investigation involving fraud, money laundering, and a counterfeiting scheme. Now, where, where, are, the, where are the results of this? One of the uh, investigations related to Burisma Holdings, we know that, named the Ukrainian Energy Company, that Hunter was getting paid a whole lot of money to be on the board without having to show up or without having to have any knowledge in oil and gas. So there was that, and his uh, business associates, and I'm using air quotes with my hands, established bank and financial accounts with Morgan Stanley for Burisma, and they're looking at that as if it were money laundering. The allegations in the report say that the average account value was nearly $6.8 million between March of 2014 and December of 2015. So they were moving some money through this account for Burisma through Morgan Stanley. Biden was tied in with Devin Archer, John Galanis, and Bevan Cooney. And they were also um, speculated to be involved in, alleged to be involved in counterfeiting schemes to conceal their Morgan Stanley average value account, her average account value. Where is all of this? Galanis, Archer and Cooney were found guilty for their roles in 2018 following a trial in a Manhattan federal court Archer's conviction was subsequently overturned by a a federal judge. But what the heck? Where are the investigations into this? Where's the actual transparency? Is there going to be a bigger revelation? I don't know. But it seems to me a year ago, a year ago this week, We knew that Hunter Biden had allegedly been involved in some pretty shady deals involving money laundering, possibly counterfeiting bonds that dealt with Native Americans. Where, where, where is the actual resolution? Where's the the interest in solving this and getting this to court or getting this? uh, Why isn't this guy locked up is what I want to know. We haven't even seen Hunter Biden since the night his father claimed a victory at the election. And he showed up on stage holding the baby from, I think, the uh, dancer, Dallas. Dallas's baby. This is one of the greatest criminal swindles I think I've ever seen. And I really would like to get to the bottom of the Hunter Biden story, the Tony Bobolinsky story, to see if Joe Biden was, in fact, the big guy, which I think we all believe he was. Can we please get someone with a backbone to go after this? It just would be nice, because, you know, I can't get away with skipping paying a parking ticket without getting chased down by the local authorities and slapped with additional fines for being late on a parking ticket, or God forbid I go through a red light and get caught on a red light camera in DC, which there's one every 11 feet. All right, I'm just I've maybe I shouldn't look back anymore, but I'm going to. Mike Opelka taking a look back at 2020, the worst year ever on the Buck Sexton Show.
0: Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Michael Pelka here, kicking off the second half of tonight's show. By the way, tomorrow night will be a best of Buck, so I'm trying to do a little looking back on the past year, the past 12 months, which have been a challenge for many of us, but we're still here. So let's uh, let's try and maintain a little positivity going forward to twenty twenty one. I'm looking back over some of the moments that stuck in my mind, though. One of them had to do with a really a really obscure thing that Democrats tried to do about seventy years ago, and it looks like they've got their eyes on trying it again. Democrats hinted that they would be packing the court. If we gave them complete control, packing the Supreme Court, loading up the court with more liberal justices so that they could guarantee a conservative court would be overturned by all these new liberal justices. Technically, we have a conservative court right now. It doesn't always feel that way, but with the addition of Amy Coney Barrett following the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Yeah, you would hope we'd have a conservative court. So the talk of packing the court started right after Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. And Donald Trump said, we're going to fill that spot, despite the fact the election is pretty darn close. And they got fairly ugly about it.
3: The only way that we restore fairness is for Congress uh, to pass an act expanding the court. There
1: is nothing in the Constitution that says there has to be nine Supreme Court justices. If Joe Biden wins... Democrats can sack the courts. Are you in favor of trying to expand this, the numbers of justices on the Supreme Court? Pack the Supreme Court. Potentially changing the number of justices on the court.
3: Adding seats to the Supreme Court and getting rid of the filibuster. Do you support those two things? Everybody sticks. We're going to have to
2: blow up the entire system. <laughs> yeah, Don Lemon, who's a, a fan of blowing up the entire system. Don Lemon, the mainstream media, so many Democrats we're saying we're going to pack the court if you go ahead and replace replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg which Donald Trump did and he had every right to do so and now we are hearing from the candidates on the ground in Atlanta that they're not going to answer that question the democrats are not going to answer that question what does that tell you When someone won't answer the question, it means you probably know the answer. For example, Eric Swalwell, he has yet to answer the question as to whether or not he had a physical relationship with the Chinese spy. And so we all assume he did. Wouldn't it be better to get that answer out of the way? I'm just saying. Just one of those things that I think uh, I think would be better. Just got we would get past it is is ultimately Bill Clinton's famous for that. He's saying just admit it and get past it. But uh, Swalwell's not doing that. Not at all. The other story that I think is interesting from 2020 was how the media loved Joe Biden so much that they looked past all of his insane statements. Joe Biden, a guy who is, uh, could be the oldest president ever elected, he's 78 years old, and he was asked about his mental state during the campaign, during 2020.
5: I think it's a legitimate question to ask anybody over 70 years old
2: whether or not they're fit and whether they're ready. Hmm, now fit could mean physically fit. But does it mean mentally fit? I wonder. Remember some of the strange statements Joe Biden made? Uh, It seemed like it was a little pandering when he was sitting down with Anderson Cooper on CNN and said this very bizarre statement.
5: Remember, Anderson, back 15, 20 years ago, we talked about this in in, in San Francisco. It was all about, well, you know, gay 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 bathhouses. And it's all about round-the-clock sex. It's all, come on, man.
2: I'm sorry? Joe, would you like to explain? Nobody ever asked him to explain either. And then there was a time Joe Biden made the very bizarre statement about, he does not consider driving under the influence a felony. Driving under the influence. One of the, one of the biggest problems we've had in this country over the past 40 or 50 years is people on the road driving while under the influence of something. But to Joe Biden... That's not a felony.
5: You only arrest for the purpose of dealing with a felony that's committed, and I don't count drunk driving as a felony.
2: Hmm, don't count drunk driving as a felony. I wonder how mothers against drunk drivers feel about that. I wonder, nobody asked though, because the media loves Joe Biden. The media is absolutely fawning over Joe Biden. They can't get enough Joe Biden. It's, it's insane how much they love this guy, don't they?
3: Really, your strength is in traveling around the country and connecting with people. You can't do any of that right now. Mr. Vice President, does, does that worry you? Does that worry you, Joe?
2: You're in the basement. You can't go around. Donald Trump was going around the country holding rallies. Joe Biden was in the basement. Or he was holding the parking lot rallies with people honking horns. But that didn't stop the media from fawning, for completely fawning over this guy. Uh, Nicole Wallace on uh, MSNBC, a former Republican, was giggling during a portion of this clip.
5: I don't know, it's like watching a yo-yo. I shouldn't have said it that way. It's like, watching. It feels that way. <laughs> it, I want to ask I
6: want. <laughs> <laughs>
3: President Trump says offensive things. He never apologizes for it. Is there a double standard here?
6: When you hear these remarks, suckers, losers, what does it tell you about President Trump's soul? Why isn't Joe Biden angrier about all of this? Joe Biden, just a guy in his basement talking to a gal in her. Do you think wearing a mask projects strength or weakness? Go ahead.
5: No. No, I, probably best I don't.
2: Yeah, it's probably best you don't run. It's probably best you don't get into that office. But you know what? If you don't get into that office and Donald Trump doesn't retain it, then that could mean that Kamala would be there. And I think that's more dangerous than anything. She's a lot more dangerous than he is. Really, seriously. Joe Biden saying some incredibly bizarre things. And the mainstream media never had a problem with it. Remember when he started talking about uh, President-elect Harris? He did this just yesterday. President-elect Harris took, it,
5: took hers today for the same reason.
2: He talked about the Harris-Biden administration.
5: And military spouses employment program. For example, make it easy to carry your professional credentials with you from one state to another when your spouse moves. Harris Biden administration is going to relaunch that effort and keep pushing further to make it easier for military spouses and veterans to find meaningful careers.
2: Yes, the Harris Biden administration, nobody presses him on this and they should. And we had it throughout the entire year. It went in the, the whole year we had all this going on. And don't get me started about his past. Joe Biden has a history of saying inappropriate things some might even say they're racist is it wrong for me to bring those up maybe i should Uh, i'm stepping aside when we get back we'll talk more about what happened in 2020 and we'll see if there's any updates on what's going on in the world today michael pelka sitting in for my friend buck sexton on the Buck Sexton Show.
0: Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Michael Pelka here on this Wednesday night, and a week away from what could be a very interesting day in Washington, D.C., the day after the Georgia runoff's and the day that Mike Pence is presiding over the certification of the Electoral College votes. And earlier today, earlier today we got the word that there is an official announcement from a GOP Senator, Josh Hawley, the first among several expected to formally announce his objection to the, uh, the count. And this will trigger A major storm inside the Congress joint session of Congress and you know what? it's also gonna freak out Joe Biden because you remember Joe Biden during the campaign said this about Donald Trump and the Republicans
5: it's my greatest concern my single greatest concern this president's gonna try to steal this election this is a guy who said that all mail-in ballots are fraudulent voting by mail While he sits behind the desk in Oval Office and writes his mail-in ballot to vote in the primary.
2: I I couldn't believe he tried to make that argument, saying that Donald Trump was wrong to vote absentee because he happens to be a resident of Florida. But, you know, he's working in Washington, D.C. I couldn't believe he tried to paint that but we'll see what happens next week. That's certainly going to be very, very, very interesting. Historic, historic, almost as historic as uh, the, (laughs) I'm laughing at this because I was going back over some of the, the moments from 2020, almost as historic as impeachment was to the mainstream media. Remember when the impeachment happened and then the impeachment trial was supposed to happen. The mainstream media just couldn't get over how historic it was.
1: You're watching CNN special live coverage of what can only be described as an historic
6: day. It will
3: day. be a busy and historic day
6: ahead. It
5: was a historic day on Capitol
6: Hill. This is a historic day here in the nation's capital. A historic,
5: an day, historic, day, historic, historic, day, historic day, another historic day, another Portland, historic day. Yeah, this is history unfolding.
2: So next Tuesday, we have some history with the Georgia runoffs. And then next Wednesday, a week from today, it looks like we're going to have some history. At least we're going to have some discussion, because as we we learned a couple days ago, when these objections happen, then the senators go back to their chamber for up to two hours of debate and the House will go back to their chamber for two hours of debate. So it promises to be a geeky day For me, for people like me who love this stuff, I cannot wait for next week. And I I am telling you, if you are planning on being in D.C., reach out to me on social media. There's a good chance that uh, we'll be in the same spot. In the exact same spot. The other story that's kind of not political and we haven't spent any time on, but we should spend some time on. I promise to give you my opinion on this. And it relates to Alec Baldwin's wife, his current wife, Hilaria, whose real name is Hillary. Alec Baldwin's wife has been pretending that she's Hispanic. Or am I supposed to say Latinex or Latinx? You know, that's been around for two years and it still hasn't caught on. That's because it's weird. And no one really accepts it other than the super liberals who tried to come up with this new statement without a gender attached to it relating to people of Hispanic descent, Latinx or Latinx. Anyway, uh, back to Hilaria, this story, I've been thinking about this uh, more and more because now there are lists of all the times that Hilaria Baldwin slipped in and out of her Spanish accent while she was on TV the Today Show had around all the time because Alec Baldwin was the guy who could play Trump on SNL and they loved him because he mocked the orange man. So, you know, Alec Baldwin gets his wife a gig and she's a, a guest correspondent, I think, on Extra, which I also believe is an NBC property. And she slips in and out of the Spanish accent. But the, the best one of all was the one when she was on the Today Show cooking And she was getting ready to chop up some vegetables and had a problem saying the name of one of them.
1: We have, of course, the...
2: Come on, Hilaria, say it again.
4: We have very few ingredients. We have tomatoes. We have, um... What is anything? Cucumber. Cucumbers. We have, uh...
2: How you say cucumber? Seriously, she said that.
4: Tomatoes. We have, um...
2: How do you say in English? Cucumbers. This is a woman who was born in Boston. Her name is Hillary. Her family, after she spent time growing up in Boston, moved to Mallorca, Spain, and she lived in Mallorca, Spain for a while, and then came back to America. And she married Alec Baldwin. And now they have five kids. And she is an American girl born in Boston. Her name is Hillary, but she changed it to Hilaria. And I'm okay with that. I don't want her canceled. I don't want her to be ostracized. I just want everyone to know that she's a phony and that he's a phony. And that by avoiding talking about it, it just shows what giant phonies you both are. This is as funny to me As when Madonna spent time in England and she came back and she had kind of a fake British accent. Do you remember that? And we laughed about it for a long time because Madonna suddenly had a British accent. I don't think it's a big deal. Look, cancel culture is one of the the dumbest things ever. It's right up there with the people who we give the woke Olympics awards to. The cancel culture needs to go away. And I don't have a problem with Hillary becoming Hilaria. And as long as we all know and give it a wink, who's it really hurting? Seriously. She's a yoga instructor who landed a really rich guy. And now they have five kids. I think they can live their life as long as I don't have to deal with them. I'm fine with it. Hilaria, I find you Hilarious, but not for the same reasons that you do. Michael Pelka, stepping aside. It is the Buck Sexton Show, the last new Buck Sexton Show of 2020. We have more to come in the third hour. And maybe we'll look back at some of the weirdness that happened in the automotive industry this last year as well.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
2: Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Third hour of the last new show of the year. Buck will have a best of show tomorrow. Michael Pelka wrapping up the year for my buddy Buck Sexton. He'll be back for the new year. So don't worry. Buck will be back. A couple of things that I have to get to. Things I saw earlier. Of course, we talked about Josh Hawley. And we do hope that more senators will line up to contest what's going on uh but i wanted to tell you about something i witnessed earlier today just around 1 today on the east coast i was checking out a report about the early voting in georgia in these critical runoff elections and one of the things that was always in question with the voting machines whether they were Dominion or whomever, was were they protected? Were they safe? Were they standalone? And in the case of the voting machines being used today, it appears that they can be accessed or compromised remotely. This was a video report from Right Side Broadcasting that was on the internet today, like I said, just around 1.30 in the afternoon, With a gentleman named Jovan or Jovan Pulitzer talking to some gathered government officials in Georgia about the voting machines listen to this
6: at this very moment at a polling location in the county um, not only do we now have access through the devices to the poll pad the system but we are in and it's not supposed to have wi-fi and that's not supposed to be able to happen so we've docket- documented now it's communicating two ways in real time meaning it's receiving data and sending data should never happen shouldn't be wi-fi we've now documented it in real time so we can suck down the data but that's going on right there where everybody's voting
2: so a little disturbing to think that during this this latest runoff election that something like this is going on there were a couple questions back and forth and then one gentleman came up from his position to ask mr. Pulitzer a question and this was the very end of his testimony
6: can i ask him one question what effect uh some could somebody with uh you know dishonest purposes what what could that person do given this access that's going on right now in fulton county um, statistically what can be going on when you have an operation like this is as that data is being exchanged and somebody's in it can actually siphon off that data modify the data and feed it right back into the system no
2: worries right don't be concerned about this nothing to be concerned about the opportunity for it to happen should have everyone freaking out now we have testimony of this guy where where are the people standing up and saying we have a problem we have a serious problem we have jack wagons running these elections and we can't have jack wagons running these elections it's just maddening to me maddening Uh, do the right thing people do the right thing. A couple of other stories that got my attention. We were talking about um, the vaccine and the distribution of the vaccine. I am interested in getting it. And I know I'm probably way down the list. It's probably going to be months. But there's a story out of Spain that gave me a little bit of a chill. I do think the vaccine and getting the vaccine should be your choice. But in Spain, if you don't get the vaccine... They're going to be making a list and checking it twice. They're actually not calling it a list. They're calling it a registry. A registry of people who won't get the vaccine. Is anyone nervous? It was just about a year ago that China announced its social credit scoring system had gone online, fully online. If you don't know what China's social credit scoring is, You should take note of it. China has facial recognition virtually in every city in in that massive country. Facial recognition software that monitors everybody. And they also have a, a recognition program that can tell you based on how you walk. So based on your gait, apparently each one of us, the way we walk has a, um, an identifying pattern to it that they have developed a program which will capture your gait, assign it to your, your digital face print that they have taken, so China can figure out who you are if you're not facing the camera just based on your walk. And the social credit scoring system works this way. If you're caught by the cameras misbehaving in public, let's say you're smoking on a train platform, you will get some sort of demerit from the Chinese government. If you are caught drunk in public, you will get demerits from the Chinese government. And your social credit score will ultimately determine your life and, and how you live. That's... It's kind of, well, it is Orwellian. We talk about how 1984 has become an operating manual for the Democrats. The Chinese are applying it, and they've got the system in place already. What makes you think they won't be outsourcing it to the rest of the world? Here's the deal. If your social credit score falls below a certain level... You aren't allowed to travel on the fastest trains. You're not allowed to fly on planes. You're not allowed to take the good buses. You will be relegated to traveling in the worst way possible. It is kind of frightening, isn't it? But it's in existence right now with over a billion people. What, 1.5, 1.6 billion people they already have on the system? So Spain's probably thinking, hey... If we can get that uh, social credit scoring system here, we can can use our registry of people who refuse to take the vaccine. Maybe we'll write a little Christmas carol for Spain's registry. Spain's making a list, checking it twice. Get the vaccine or your life won't be nice. Yeah, I know. Social credit scoring is here. Uh, I'm very concerned about China. Very, very concerned about China and what they're up to. We heard from uh, Gordon Chang earlier this week, the guy who wants us to cut all ties with China. It certainly would get the attention of the rest of the world, wouldn't it? You have to be pretty strong to do that. I don't know if we can. The other story that I I want to tell you to keep an eye on, Donald Trump's pardons. The left got really freaked out earlier this, this week when Donald Trump pardoned a few people and commuted some sentences. And, and Donald Trump has um, pardoned what would be considered a handful of people when compared to people like Barack Obama. The commutations of sentences and pardons from Donald Trump number somewhere around 130. Barack Obama, commutations and pardons, over 1,700. And Barack Obama is also the guy who pardoned a terrorist who bombed and killed people in Puerto Rico. Yeah, Donald Trump not pardoning terrorists, not at all. So if anyone gets their uh, dress blown up about Donald Trump pardoning people, like Roger Stone or Paul Manafort. Manafort committed a crime before he worked for Trump, but the president has the pardon power. Not saying I agree with it, but if you want to look at the overall totals of pardons and commutations, Donald Trump isn't even close to the top. He's down near the bottom. FDR, by the way, led everybody with over, I think it was 4,000 pardons and commutations. I know, I know, it's very interesting, very interesting. Uh, Bill Clinton, we all remember Bill Clinton issued a uh, pardon to the fugitive banker, Mark Rich, who happened to be the husband of one of his biggest donors. Just amazing to me that the left would try and get upset about Donald Trump and his pardons, while the history of pardons on the left is obvious and ridiculous. And I, I'm glad we have the time to point it out. I need to get back to another story. Uh, for, for weeks and weeks and weeks, we have been hearing, and maybe for years, ever since Donald Trump's tax cuts came uh, into reality, we've been hearing that this was a handout, a giveaway to all the richest people. There is now data proving that Donald Trump's tax cuts were in fact progressive yeah we'll get to that I'll I'll explain just around the corner Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton on the final Buck Sexton new show of 2020
0: you're in the freedom hut this is the Buck Sexton show podcast
2: it's Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton and we are marching 2020 towards the exit trying to get rid of this horrible year and throw it out of here. And we will get there. You know, back in the early days of the first term of Donald Trump, I say that because I'm hoping for a second term. I would like to see it be a consecutive second term, but it may have to be a term that starts in 2024. We will see. We will see next week if history can be made. And, you know, I believe that if anyone can make history... It's Donald Trump. He is the guy who beats the odds on so many occasions. So uh, we shall see next week, Washington, D.C., on the 6th of January. In the meantime, we have to get through the 5th of January. And there is some encouraging news about what's going on in Georgia. Yeah, I played you that clip earlier that has the voting machines that were hacked by white hat hackers who showed that they were connected to the Internet, which means that bad stuff can happen. It doesn't necessarily mean that bad stuff did happen, but it means that bad stuff can happen. And the law of averages says anything will happen that can. So I didn't like to see that. But uh, there is some interesting news out of uh, out of Georgia as relates to the runoffs. And this is from a story in the Washington Times today. The anti-Trump Biden Republicans, I want you to drink that in. The anti-Trump Biden Republicans have come back to the GOP column for the Georgia runoffs. And apparently there is a considerable group in Georgia who, while they were Republicans, weren't exactly fans of Donald Trump. And, you know, we've seen the never-Trumpers out there everywhere. But in this case, they were Biden Republicans. I guess it's kind of like being a blue dog Democrat. But uh, these folks look at the candidates like Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, which still feels like I'm swearing, doesn't it? Whenever I say the name Ossoff, I'm wondering if I'm going to get a, a, a red flag from the program director. But uh, Ossoff and Warnock are two of the most liberal, radical people you will ever see run for office anywhere, including San Francisco. And these guys will take this country, if they are allowed to take over those two seats in the Senate, they will take this country with the Democrats so far left they will change our republic forever. I'm not being dramatic. So when I see this news that the anti-Trump Biden Republicans have come back to the ranch, it makes me feel better. It makes me feel like, well, maybe we're going we're gonna to pull this out. We just got to make sure everybody gets to the polls. And if you're not voting early, you got to get out and vote next Tuesday. Donald Trump's going to be doing that rally in uh, Georgia on Monday. And uh, I heard, and it's in all the papers, so it's not a secret, uh, uh, Joe Biden and Kamala will be barnstorming through Georgia as well. So it's going to be a very busy weekend for the people who were on the campaign trail all the way up to November 3rd. And we will see next week. I, I do think we're on a good path, but it also concerns me how much money is being spent on on this this Senate election, these two runoffs. It's crazy money. And speaking of crazy money, remember when Donald Trump had the tax cut pushed through and the left told us that everything about the tax cut was wrong? The Donald Trump tax cut was a giveaway to the rich and the rich people only. Well, it turns out four years later three and a half years later donald trump's tax cut turns out to be ready for this progressive nancy pelosi called it the worst bill in the history of the united states congress jesse jackson wrote in the chicago sun times american plutocracy gets immoral tax bill the st louis Post-Dispatch, which is often called the Post-Disgrace, said, sheer greed, an effort by the malefactors of great wealth to escape more of their obligations to the society. And what did we learn? The bill that passed in 2017? Well, gee, the share of federal income taxes paid by the top 1% actually increased from 38.5% to 40 percent so the top one percent actually paid more the top five percent top ten percent top 25 percent all paid more the bottom 50 percent of taxpayers saw their load of the federal income tax drop from 3.1 percent to under three percent 2.9 percent to be exact So to everybody who said that Donald Trump's tax bill, Donald Trump's tax rollback was going to be a gift for the upper class. It turned out to be a gift for everybody in the 50 percent of America or lower. The top 1 percent paid more, the top 5 percent, 10 percent. Twenty-five percent, even parts of the top fifty—that fifty to twenty-five percent—paid a little more money. So Nancy Pelosi, when you talk about the uh, what was it—a a Sunday with a, a doggy doo doo with a a cherry on top? Um, yeah, I, I think I have the quote here. It was Nancy Pelosi. As I said to you, this is a this is like giving you um um bowl of doggy do put a cherry on top and call it a chocolate sundae this is nothing yeah bring me some more of those chocolate sundaes will you nancy michael pelka stepping aside when we get back i want to talk about what happened to the car business in 2020 with my friend lauren fix the car coach that's next on the buck sexton show
0: thanks for listening to the buck sexton show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iHeartRadio radio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Michael Pelke here for Buck Sexton, and we're almost out the door, and so is 2020 almost out the door. As I've been saying all night, I will not be upset to see 2020 go away. I'm hoping that 2021 starts with some good news. And as I've said, I'm going to be in Washington, D.C., God willing, next week to cover whatever goes down. Hoping there are a whole bunch of senators who line up like dominoes behind Josh Hawley and stand for the correct thing when the Electoral College certification comes up. So we will see. We shall keep our eyes on that. Um, I also have another story I have to get to before we get out of here. But one of my buddies is joining us. She is uh, my go-to in the world of automotive news and information. Her name is Lauren Fix the car coach you've seen her she was on with maria bartiromo earlier um and she's been on fox and the weather channel all that stuff lauren's a race car driver she's also an inventor invented a braking system a really cool person and knows everything about the car world and so i thought we'd look back on 2020 which was the weirdest year on record and a really weird year automotively we didn't have car shows the way we used to And um, full disclosure, I used to get to hang out with Lauren Fix at uh, Media Day at the New York International Car Show, which means we didn't have crowds. We just got to go ahead of everybody on Press Day, and it was very cool. We didn't have that in 2020. Lauren Fix, my friend, welcome. Are we going to get a car show in person in 2021?
3: Well, the only one I know of for sure that's going to happen is going to be in Amelia Island. It is the Concordia d'Elegance. I will be one of the judges. Thank goodness. And it's an outdoor show. So if you're in Florida, northern Florida, just north of Jacksonville, about 45 minutes, there is an amazing outdoor show at the Ritz. And uh, full disclosure, my husband won there last year. Uh, and uh, But it's a great show. Uh, I will be one of the many judges, it, it is a big show. So for outdoor shows, that's great. So manufacturers are well aware. No Chicago, no Detroit, no LA auto shows. Those are the big ones, no Geneva. And the only shows that occurred this year were Beijing and I think Shanghai but other than that there was nothing and so it has hurt the auto industry to not be able to showcase their new products and showing it virtually you know, it's okay it's not the same thing it's not the same excitement and the investment in these shows is a problem because Chicago has moved they've all moved Chicago's become a very local show so if you're in the Chicago area it used to be run by Paul Bryan it was fabulous now it's become regional and it's sad because people like auto shows to go and sit in the cars and see what their family thinks and sort of see everything, Not, I think that's gone. I think that is a done deal.
2: See, I miss that because the concept cars used to also show up at the auto show and the to see an actual physical concept car was one of my favorite things. I go back to 1973, I think it was, maybe 74, when Chevy brought out a rotary engine mid-engine corvette and i Uh somewhere i have slides i actually took slides of the corvette and i i just loved being able to see the concept cars you don't get that in the virtual world you don't get the up-close experience so i'm advocating for a return to normal with car shows and i hope they bring them back but i do too sounds like you're saying it, it ain't really gonna happen
3: Well, I think part of the problem is and the reason that we have not seen these auto shows is because of COVID, right? So I was at the LA Auto Show last year and came back with some sort of, we always call it like trade car show scum. You know, you come back and I picked up a disease from somebody I shook hands with or hugged or whatever. Uh, And that happens at Detroit also, but I had something and then CES, I was there as well. And then you could see there's a lot of people from other countries there and a lot of of people. I don't know. I, I think that there's a lot of COVID fear. And even with a vaccine, I think that it's time for a change. And I think you're gonna see some changes in the way they showcase product, uh, whether it be technology, car shows and whatever. And that's a shame, because I I think there's the excitement of a new car coming out. Like you said, the concept car, like that mid-engine Corvette you were talking about, that is cool to see things of the future. And we're seeing it virtually, it's not the same thing. It really isn't.
2: No, it's not at all. But let's look at this year, were there, Cars that went away in 2020, never to return again, that you're sad, have gone away?
3: Oh, my gosh. There's so many. First off, passenger cars are pretty much gone. Uh, They're talking about not making the Camaro anymore. I think that they should be still making these cars. Your pony cars like the Mustang aren't going away. But then all the regular cars like the Ford Fusion, you're watching every car manufacturer take away all the cars. The Continental's going away. I mean, people just don't want these cars. They want SUVs. And we noticed a big increase in trucks also. So as people transition to trucks and SUVs and away from cars, it's going to be sad to watch cars go away, other than supercars and sports cars. Supercars
2: and sports cars. Technically, what is a supercar? Something over half a oh. million?
3: I don't think it necessarily has to do with price. It has to do with performance. So you're looking at, of course, Ferraris, uh, the Ford GT. You're looking at Lamborghinis, Paganis, McLarens. So these may be Greek to you. Um, Bentleys. I mean, I'm I'm test driving right now a Bentley Bentega V8, and it is equal to the sedan. And when you talk to the people at the dealers, because that's where I usually pick up the cars, they tell me the car sales are down. People want the SUVs with the same performance. So you're seeing that across the board and less and less vehicles available. And, and I think that's sad because cars are just a different experience. When you own a car and you can take it for a drive, whether it's a Mustang or a Camaro or a, a Hellcat, whatever it might be, it is a different experience than driving an SUV.
2: What is the fastest American production car made today?
3: Well, it's sort of a, a an interesting thing to say, because the fastest production car built is the Ford GT, uh, but it's built by Multimatic for Ford Motor Company. So if you say, okay, let's take that out of the mix, it's a $600,000 car. If you're talking about like, I want something that's obtainable for most, it would either be the new Corvette or the Shelby GT 500, or the Hellcat, depending upon, or the Demon, depending upon that's made by uh, Fiat Chrysler. It's a Dodge product. And those three are all limited production cars. Those three are all high demand cars, believe it or not. Why everyone's thinking, oh, everyone wants EVs and SUVs. They don't. These cars sell out. They're Hmm. gone. And they're all American production. And if you buy one, you won't be disappointed.
2: Well, that's very cool. It's nice to hear that American muscle cars, that's what we used to call them, are still out there and still holding their own. I tend to think that the, um, the death of the Camaro and some of these uh, smaller cars is because young people don't care about driving. For me, turning 16 and get my driver's license meant freedom. And it doesn't seem like that's the thing anymore. It's not the right of passage anymore. And that kind of makes me sad.
3: That's changed, I think. I think before COVID, you were right, you were watching a decline in 16-year-olds getting their driver's licenses and they were all taking mass transit, Uber, whatever. Now with COVID, that changed everything. So now I had more phone calls because I worked like you do in media with people calling me saying, I need a car now. And I go, well, like in a couple of days? No, like today I want to buy something and get out of the city or to get out of a place where they didn't have a vehicle. And I was helping people buy cars literally in 24 hours, which is, and that's not what I do for a living, but I was doing it because like you were friends, you helped them out. Uh, But I watched more people buy SUVs this year, ever, and to move out of big cities. And so you're starting to see that demand for used cars, the demand for new cars was so strong. Uh, Last year, we sold 41 million used cars. This year, I think we're going to be well more than that. Um, Every used car that hit the lots at any dealer. Those ones, you go, they're never going to sell that car. That thing's a piece of crap. Those sold. People sold. They bought anything they could get their hands on in order to have that freedom. And that key word keeps coming up. Like you said, when you were 16, you wanted that freedom. Mom's not taking me anywhere. I'm not taking my bike. I'm getting in my car and going. People are back to that. They want that freedom. They don't wanna be controlled. They wanna get in their own cars, not get in a cab or a car service or a subway. They're, they're not being used as much. Um, my cousin works on Metro North. He says the trains are completely empty. He goes, people are driving. All the streets, other highways are busy. Hmm. So that so tells you the transition is going back to cars and away from ride shares.
2: Interesting. Very interesting. Uh Uh, Lauren Fix is her name. She is the car coach. Find her on all forms of social media. Lauren, before I let you get out of here, Mm -hmm. is there anything coming out this year? Is there any new product in in the car world that you're excited about that we should look forward to?
3: It was a lot we got the Hummer EV coming out, I think that's kind of cool because we've been talking about that. You know, Hummer coming back, that brand, a uh, Bollinger coming out with an EV truck. I'm not an EV person, but Rivian's going to have their vehicle. I want to see the final production piece. But on the gasoline powered side, we just had Dodge Ram come out with the TRX, this big 707 horsepower motor in a truck. Well, Ford says, well, you can't outdo our Raptor. So they're going to take a Shelby GT500 engine and put it in a F-150. I go, I want one of those. <laughs> that's going to be a blast to drive. My- so uh, that, that I'm looking forward to. Okay,
2: that's good. My nephew's got a Raptor. I have to tell him about this because he may want to trade up.
3: Oh, they're awesome! You better put an order in now because they're not even—they're not even announced yet. Wow! But if you tell a dealer that you want one and and you are into these type of vehicles, you have to jump on them quickly because they're gone. That's very so cool. Very don't miss cool. out on these cool cars that are coming out. Very good collectibles.
2: <laughs> well, I—I uh, I just like driving them and and the experience. Her name is Lauren Fix, as I said. She is the car coach. She's my go-to on all things automotive, my friend. Thank you for a great 2020, even though we didn't get to go to the car show. I'm still hopeful we'll get to go to one in the future.
3: I hope so because we we were last time I saw you was in New York to talk about Carlos Gone, and that story's still going. But boy, I, I would love to just see you in person. It would certainly be more fun.
2: Yeah, let's drive fast somewhere soon.
3: Yes, yes, I'm in.
2: Thanks for listening to the Bus Sexton
0: Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Michael Pelka finishing up uh, this year on the Buck Sexton show Buck will be back next year tanned rested and ready I'm sure from his Florida adventure before we get out of here I got a couple more things we have to point out yeah we got to give one more play to the Trump train because who knows if we're ever going to get another chance to ride on the Trump train who knows so come on everybody join hands Form a trump train with me one more time.
6: Tell all the world and join
0: hands and form a trump train, a trump train. Tell all the world and join hands and form a trump
4: train, a trump train.
2: It really is a
6: disgrace.
2: It's called the COVID relief bill, but it has almost nothing to do with COVID. $900 billion package provides hardworking taxpayers
6: with only $600 each in relief payments. And not enough money is given to small businesses. I am asking Congress to amend this bill and increase the ridiculously low $600 to $2,000 or $4,000 for a Couple.
0: Tell all the world join hands and form a trump train, a trump train. Tell all the world join hands and form a trump train, a trump
2: train. Yeah, Trump train. I hope we get a, uh, another year or four of the Trump train. If you know what I'm saying, uh, I was looking back over 2020, started with Donald Trump taking out Qasem Soleimani, the terrorist that the mainstream media called a war hero, compared him to General Charles de Gaulle. It was disgusting what the uh, CNNs and MSNBCs of the world did. And then we went through the impeachment trial, which we all knew the way it was going to end. And then COVID showed up. And COVID changed everything, didn't it? It also changed the way America looks at solving big problems like that. Donald Trump led what is one of the most remarkable accomplishments in the history of man. The record speed at which these vaccines were developed. Two approved, a third one getting very close to being approved, more in the pipeline Donald Trump ought to get credit for this, and he's not, but he should. Then we went through the summer of turmoil with the killing of George Floyd and the riots and the destruction and the looting, the senseless riots, destruction and looting, and the attacks on the good men and women of law enforcement, the attempts to defund the police. We talked about it earlier with the... uh, the studies that are showing the cities where they had the anti-cop riots. Gee, what a surprise, there's a giant spike in violence, murder in those cities. Who could have seen that coming? We had the conventions that didn't happen. We had no RNC to speak of and no DNC to speak of, certainly nothing like we've had in the past. And then we went on to an election that still remains a big question. And floating over all of it was the media malpractice, especially as it related to situations like the story about the vice president's, former vice president's son, Hunter Biden. The media just didn't want to cover it. Obviously,
1: uh, we're not going- with the uh, New York Post story uh, right now on Hunter Biden.
2: This
5: is
6: really one of the stupidest October surprises I've ever seen. It helps to really view this as storytelling, not so much as news coverage, but as political entertainment. NPR explained, we don't want to waste our time on stories that are not really stories.
3: Who even thought to make that story up? It's a story that many intelligence experts say has all the hallmarks of a foreign interference campaign. It looks
4: like it's tied to Vladimir Putin
0: in my this is a Russian intelligence disinformation campaign.
3: Foreign intelligence
1: operation. Foreign intelligence operation. Russian intelligence. Rudy
0: Giuliani was not fed passively Russian disinformation. He
6: ordered it off the menu. And this is a classic example of the right-wing media machine. And he's in the midst of a scandal. He's not. And he's taking... Of course not. He is. No. We should note Hunter Biden isn't running for president.
3: That argument has been debunked. There is no evidence that Joe Biden did anything wrong. For all
6: we know, These emails are made up. It just lacks credibility. Okay, I would love if you guys would start doing that digging and start doing that verification. No, we're not going to do your work
3: for you.
2: Yeah, we're not going to do your work for you. It'd be nice if you did any of your own work, Christian Amanpour. It was madness. Michael Pelka saying, have a great new year. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Buck. And Testudo, my friends. Testudo.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.